by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. have to have fun with everything. I can't take, I can't stand just to come up with something boring and dull. And the perfectionist in me can't stand for this door to be open back here. So hold on one moment. <laughs> I'm not quite as bad as Pastor Paul who would run to the thermostat every 30 seconds to make sure it was the exact temperature we needed to be. <coughs> Okay, Exodus 14, starting in verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. That's pretty amazing. As the water stood up like a wall on both sides, that is how the Lord rescued. Say the Lord rescued. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day you know God's people were in bondage in Egypt they'd been there for what was it like 400 years or something it was a long time and uh, God brought them out with many miracles can you imagine what it would take to have Pharaoh of all Egypt listen to a lowly Hebrew fella coming in that hadn't been in town for 40 years and he was wanted for murder when he left and he's going to come in and tell Pharaoh, uh, God says you've got to let approximately two or three million of your slaves go for free. That'd be like me running to the White House and, you know, I need to talk with the president. Uh, we're Mississippi is seceding from the Union. What's the likelihood of that happening? He's saying yes. He's not going to say yes. But if the power of God gets involved, after ten plagues and miracles and frogs and gnats and hailstorms, the river turning to blood, finally the death of all the firstborn, pretty soon that starts to get to your attention. God can get your attention if he wants to, can he? God is awesome. Well, he brought them out. Finally, Pharaoh said, just go. Y'all just go. And he let them go. And they went out, and God led them right to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh changed his mind. <laughs> oh, we're like, like the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, when we got born again. Because you know what happened? Pharaoh trapped them up against the Red Sea, and God caused the, the sea to open and let them walk through on dry ground, a miraculous event. And they got on the other side, and then as Pharaoh and his army comes through, that was going to kill them, the waters closed in on them and killed all of them. So God killed all the enemies in one fell swoop, in one wave, so to speak. Pretty amazing. So what does the Israelites do on the other side of the 
the Red Sea. They celebrate. They have a party. They throw down. They get the tambourines out. They start writing songs, and they're singing about their God. And, it's, and you can see it in Exodus if you'll read it about what they do when they got on the other side. And that's what we do. When we get saved, when we brought out a bondage of Egypt, you know, Egypt is always, in the Bible, typically a, a type shadow of the world, the world's way of doing things. And, and they were in slavery to the world's way of doing things, like we were. And God did miraculous things. If you look back at, at the way he had to get your attention and get you to agree to go across and get you to do what, what he asked you to do, it probably took a lot of miracles. And he brought you out, and, and then he, he destroyed your enemies, hold on your life, and you get out on the other side. And, and I know when I got saved, man, I wanted to write songs for God. I wanted to perform for God. I wanted to preach for God. I wanted to tell people my testimony. I wore all my family members out. I mean, they couldn't stand me, you know. I, but I couldn't shut up about Jesus. I was just excited. And that's the way the Israelites were when they got to the other side. They were just excited. It says in Colossians 1.13, for he has rescued us. What part did we play in that? What part did we play in our salvation? We, we, just, we just said, yes, sir. That's about the only thing we did, right? He has rescued. Remember it said in Exodus, the Lord rescued Israel. It says he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. We were rescued, guys. <laughs> when you're rescued, that means you need rescuing. And we need rescuing. He purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So hopefully when you got saved, if you really got saved, man, your heart was singing songs of deliverance. And there was a celebration. That's how life is supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to be today. But the problem is, is after, in that same chapter where they're singing all those songs, halfway through the chapter, they stop singing. <laughs> the back half of the, the chapter starts beginning to tell, uh, Exodus 15, 24 says, Then the people complained, and they turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. I mean, they ain't been out there three days. They're already complaining. They've been saved by that long. And as I look at the Israelites and how they did, and we, we say, man, those knuckleheads. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they worshiped a golden calf out the, when God was leading. I can't believe they did. And, and we think of all the things they did, and we just say, it's impossible. There's no way somebody could be that hard, hard-headed. But the more I grow in God and the more I examine me <laughs> and other people, I begin to see, man, that is all too possible. Everything that happened to them seems to happen to us because we're these, these flighty little creatures that we can be strong on Sunday, but by Sunday afternoon, halfway through the chapter, we're like, what? And our spouse will be saying, didn't you go to church this morning and you acting like that now? Right? Well, when I first got saved, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. I knew my sins was forgiven and and they were teaching me that, you know, you can have what you say kind of doctrine. And they were telling me, you know, if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed, cast and see, shall not doubt in your heart and believe what the things you say shall come to pass you, shall have whatsoever these things you say. And I was like, yeah. And so I began to say some things. And about a couple weeks in after being saved or, and finding that message out, 
I had been praying for something to happen, and it wasn't happening. And I remember, just like it was yesterday, I was, I was upset that God hadn't answered my prayer on my timeline. So I pulled off the road and got on the side of the road, and me and God headed out. Here I am, freshly born again, and I'm yelling at God, you said, God, you promised, and then and then I'm getting up in God's face like an idiot. <laughs> I, I had no, no idea who I was talking to. But that's what we believe. We, you know, when, when we get saved, some of us begin to believe that uh, we're owed something. I don't know what I believed. But I was trying, I thought it was being in faith. I thought my little temper tantrum was showing God that I had faith to believe. But what I learned is, is God soon began to take me to a place called the wilderness. Why? Do you know God takes us through places? And it's, it was an 11-day journey to get to the promised land. He didn't have to take them through the wilderness. He didn't have to take them through the Red Sea. You see, God has got a plan for our lives, and we want to be the one in charge. We want to tell God the way we want to go. We want to, we want to be the GPS. But God is more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort. And so he will put you in some positions. And so God, I'm sure he was sitting up there, i got to bring that knucklehead down a few pegs. And so I began to go into the wilderness like these guys in Exodus in Exodus 16, verse 1, it says, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin. <laughs> that sounds like a hot vacation spot. Between Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So they've, they've been delivered for approximately one month, and now they're going into the wilderness of sin. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. <laughs> they done already got on Moses about not having nothing to drink. And now they're saying, well, we don't have good food. You know, we don't like the accommodations here in the wilderness. God was trying to get some points across to them, see if they would respond. You know, God tests our character. He's really wanting to get you somewhere, but he has to test you first to see if you could handle being there. And so he's wanting to get them to the promised land, but he's having to test them to see if they're ready for the battles ahead. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take to get them to the promised land. So God stops... Uh, you know, at first, when you're a baby Christian, you know, everything's wondrous. God's doing all that. He's, he's cradling you like a little tiny baby, and he's taking care of your every want and need, and, and you're so on fire and excited about things. Man, this is, this is, this is where you want to stay forever, but then all of a sudden, you're like a, a bird kicked out of the nest. <laughs> now you're fighting for yourself out in the wilderness, and uh, he's teaching babes to grow up. He's teaching babes in Christ to stop whining and to grow up. You know, Christians don't supposed to live from miracle to miracle. A lot, of, a lot of people live the way they want, and every time they find themselves in trouble, they're praying to God for a miracle. 
Oh, I got faith to believe, brother. Well, if you got faith to believe, you got faith to live it. Yeah, right? If you're living from miracle to miracle, and every time you turn around you're needing a miracle, then you're not doing it right. The life of faith is not supposed to be from miracle to miracle. Maybe you needed miracles at first as a babe in Christ, but you don't need miracles. Ever. Miracles are really for unbelievers. That's what showed Pharaoh he needed to let the people go. That's what got you out. But once you get in, you're supposed to grow up a little bit and learn for yourself. I remember uh, I had this old black truck when I first got saved. And I got out of work one day, and I went out there, and it said, click it, click it, click it. You know how it does? And it wasn't turning over. And so I did what all men did. I got out, went and opened the hood, and looked at it like I knew what I was looking at. <laughs> and I had gotten off work a little early, so there wasn't no other men out there to admire me looking at the engine, but I was still doing it. And I was grabbing some wire. And I, he, he knows what he's doing, but I'm just grabbing some wires and seeing if anything's loose. That's about all I know to do. But it looks like I know what I'm doing because I'm looking at it. Well, anyway, I got back in. Clickety, clickety, clickety. Man, I turned that key 15, 20 times. And I was sitting there, and it was hot, and I was sweating in that truck. And I was mad. And then it said, it, it occurred to me, why don't you pray? You're a man of faith now. And so I said, good idea, God. So I got out, and I put my hand on the front of that truck, and I said, in the name of Jesus. You know, you got to put the, the horse voice in it. In the name of, no, but, but when you're declaring something, I said, in the name of Jesus, I declare you truck right now, you work, and you don't give me no more problems. And I am not lying, although I often do. No, I don't. I've got y'all so confused about me. But I got in that truck, and the next time I turned the key, boy, you should have seen me grinning like an old possum. I wanted, to, I wanted to call everybody, hey, this faith stuff works, you know. I got faith. I'm a man of God. I spoke to a truck and it cranked. So, I, you know, I was telling everybody a couple days later, it was Sunday, and I got out of church, and after church, went and get my truck again and went to crank it, click, click, click again. I said, no problem. I know what to do. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, I command you to crank. And I was awful sure that when I got back in there, it was fixing to crank right up. And it went, click, 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 click. Did I say it wrong? Did I, you know, did I do the five steps to get it to work right? And, it, and I couldn't get it cranked. And I think it was Richard Parvin. I'm not sure in, the, in my vague memory. I believe Richard came out there. He said, something wrong with your truck? And so we stood around looking in the hood. And uh, he said, it sounds like your starter's not turning over or something. So he got a wrench or something, he went up under and banged on the star a few times, said, now try it. And I said, boom, cranked right up. I said, thanks, Richard. And I got in the truck, and I was driving off, and God began to reveal something to me. Son, I don't want you to have to get out and lay hands on your truck every time you need to crank it. You don't need to live from miracle to miracle. You need to go get a starter. I gave you a miracle when you needed a miracle, but I gave you wisdom when you needed wisdom. That makes sense? And so Christians should begin to believe for wisdom on how to live so we don't get ourselves in fixes where we need miracles. If that makes any sense. Romans 1.17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
I think faith encompasses a lot more than some of us realize. I think it's more than just saying, because I said, you know, or because God said, and, and, and all these things. I think faith is believing God even when you don't get your way sometimes. Faith is understanding that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We, we begin to believe that we can ask anything we want and we'll get what we want, but that's not what it says. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So we, the best thing we can do to, to build ourselves up in faith is to know what God's will is. I think Pastor Paul was the one who used to always say, the fa- the, uh, faith begins where the will of God is known. So if, if it's not God's will, you have no reason to, ask, to think that if you ask for it, you'll get it. <clears throat> so next in the story, what did I call it? Exodusing the wilderness. <laughs> next, God begins to show his people uh, how to trust him daily. They're out in the wilderness, and they're starving for food, and they're complaining and crying, and and uh, he begins to, it's funny, even when they do something wrong, he still provides for them. Even though they're, they got their mind in the wrong place, they're complaining and grumbling and everything, he still gives them what they need to survive. And he begins to rain down manna, which is this white, powdery-looking substance. I think it says it's like a white coriander seed or something, what it looks like. That's what the Bible says. And that it was, they would gather it up, and, they, and it tasted like a wafer with honey on it. So it was a sweet-tasting bread. But he said, just get you enough every day for you to eat. Figure out how much that is. He said something about an omer or something. I don't know all the measurements that they used back in those days, but get you an omer apiece, you know. And he said, don't keep any overnight. I'll give you some more tomorrow. And what did Jesus tell us? Give us this hour. Daily bread. Same thing Jesus taught us. But what happened? You know what they did? They got more than they needed. And, and they ate their fill, and then they tried to put some in, on the shelf, you know, for tomorrow. Because why? They didn't think God would provide again tomorrow. Reminds me of the story that Jesus told about the guy that had a really great year on his farm, you know, bumper crops everywhere, and he had more abundance than he'd ever had. And he said, man, I don't even have room in my barn for this. So he built bigger barns, and he put all this stuff in there, and he, he said, he thought to himself, man, I've got so much stuff saved up now, I don't even, I don't even have to work anymore. I'm just going to live it up, you know. And God said, you fool, don't you know this very day your life's going to be demanded of you, and then who's going to get you stuff? See, the, you can't beat God at his game. If he's trying to teach you something, he's going to teach you it. Okay? So that's the kind of thing we did before we got saved. Once we get saved, we begin to trust God, and we begin to get with the program. The quicker we pass the test, the quicker we get up to where we want to be and where we need to be. Do you hoard up things because you're afraid of running out? I know many of us do. Uh, I know these days I'm, I get more excited about selling stuff off than I do getting new stuff. <laughs> As you get older, you know, you've had to, you've had to uh, 
house, all that stuff. You've had to buy containers to keep all that stuff. And then you realize, I don't ever use that stuff. I used to have to have one motorcycle, one boat, one go-kart, one lawnmower, one. I used to have to have one of everything because I, I, I thought that's what you were supposed to do. A man was supposed to collect one of everything. And I got to where I, my boat would sit out there for months, my, my motorcycle never got rode, and I'm paying notes on all this stuff or, you know, or, or trying to keep maintenance up on it. It'll drive a man crazy. So I began to think, hey, you know, why don't I just do one at a time? And now I don't even really do one at a time, you know. Now that I've found God's will for my life, that's all I really want to do. But that's another story. But do you hoard up things because you're afraid of running out? I know people that have about, and I'm not naming any names, but have like two of everything Walmart got. It, when Walmart runs out, they call her. And I'm not saying any names. <coughs> Are you afraid that God's manna will run out? That God's love for you will all of a sudden stop? You know, as long as I've been alive, that's a long time. As long as I've been alive, every morning in the east, the sun comes up. And I've talked to other people older than me, and they say it used to do it when they was little. And I've looked in books and everything. To the best of my recollection, the sun always comes up in the east. And not one time did it come up in the west or didn't come up at all. It, the earth is spinning every day. God puts systems in place. He puts things that just happen over and over. And I believe it's to teach us that God is faithful. So you can look at creation and you can see the seasons and you can see the changing of the moon and, and the stars, how they come over. And today we can tell when a comet's going to come by. I mean, that's how predictable this universe is in some regards. And it's, it's God showing us that he can be trusted. His mercy is new when? Every morning. Every morning. And so we need to rest and stop thinking this, that we have to do something to make this work. That, man, if, if I don't do this or I don't do that or if I don't have five of these, I just don't know how I can make it, you know? What, what would happen if you needed that doodad and you didn't have it in the, in the pantry? Oh, no! I might, absolutely, I might have to get in the truck and go down to Dollar General and buy another one. But some of us have got five of them in case that one. We can't find it, you know. Am I preaching real good? What are we afraid of? What? Why are we afraid to do what God asks us to do? I mean, really. Has he proven himself and the sun's still coming up? Check it tomorrow and make sure I'm telling the truth now. Has he proven himself? Has he done everything that he could possibly do like I prayed to show us how much he loves us? 
if he's done everything and he's proven himself and he's, he's right on every time, why are we afraid to do what he asks us to do? It seems like that's the guy you trust. That's the one you can latch on and whatever he says, do. Like Mary said, whatever Jesus says, do. Why are we afraid to give? He says, give, and it shall be given unto you. We're afraid to give, like, if I give, then I'll run out. We're afraid to love. Afraid we might get our heart broken or something. We're afraid to, of failure. You know, I've learned, and this has probably been one of my biggest drawbacks, I'm, I'm more afraid of success than I am failure. I'm afraid to succeed, and then people find out that I don't really deserve to be there. You know, but, but whatever your, your fear is, if you're afraid of failure, you know, I'm good at failure. I got that down. <laughs> failure, you'll never succeed if you're afraid of failure. Because anybody that succeeds is going to fail time and time again. That's how you begin to succeed. It's part of this, the succeeding process. Are you afraid of what people think about you? Afraid of being hurt? Afraid of commitment? Afraid of being alone? Afraid of the unknown? Afraid of the darkness? Afraid to walk in there and, man, I don't know what's going to happen when I go in there. I can't see in there. Can you not trust that God is with you? And if God be with you, who can be against you? Are you afraid of being exposed? Maybe you've created a persona for yourself, uh, and you have this reputation to uphold, but you're afraid that if people knew who you really are, are you afraid of death? Are you afraid to die? You, you know what the Bible says, but you're still afraid? You're afraid you don't have what it takes. Are you just afraid in general? We all have fears, don't we? We all have things that make us nervous. But you know what? John, 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love. God is love. There's no fear in him. And perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. And God doesn't want his children tormented. He saved you from the tormentor. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And God is seeking to make us perfect. God is seeking to work with us and, and seeking towards perfection, towards holiness. And he doesn't want you tormented. And he, he's got to be somewhat offended that we're afraid of all these things when his promises cover all these things. And, and, and we've got to know that he's not going to let us down. John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That sounds like a precious promise. We can trust Jesus. Well, after this... Uh, they begin to collect too much manna, and guess what happens? And the next morning, they wake up, and it's spoiled. It's rotten, and it's got worms in it. 
Then he begins to work with them on something else. He teaches them another lesson. He said, on the sixth day, collect, collect double the amount of manna because I don't want you working on the seventh day. He begins to teach them to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Well, this is hard for them to understand because when they kept too much that first night, it got worms and went and, got and rotted. So, but if I get twice as much on the sixth day, then the seventh day, that stuff you told me to collect extra is going to be rotted, God. <laughs> but what happened? Wasn't the case. They woke up that seventh day, and the, the extra that they had collected was fine. God can do what God wants to do. See, God gave them a miracle. The, the, the natural order of how it was rotting suspended on the seventh day. It's like God was teaching them to keep God things first. Honor the Sabbath. It's like the tithe. It's the, the first tenth. You know, it, it belongs to the Lord. And the Lord's day belongs to the Lord. Of course, now, you know, some people say the Sabbath is on a Saturday. Some may say the Sabbath is on a Sunday. And they argue back and forth. The Sabbath is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest. And whatever he says goes. And so, basically, what you could say is, honor the Lord and whatever he says and do. <laughs> and he will make you succeed. Exodus 16, 27 says, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day. <laughs> but they found no food. Why did they find no food? Because God's not going to honor somebody that won't, won't do what he says. Every day, the, the manna was coming down, but the seventh day, it stopped. And so, But some of us are like, Man, I got to work seven days a week. I got to. I can't be at church. I got to. My boss says, this, this, I've got to be. I've got to work. I can't pay the bills if I don't work seven days a week. This says right there they didn't found any food on the seventh day. But if you would obey and put Jesus first, you wouldn't have to work the whole day, and you would be doubly blessed. Like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the only fast food that doesn't work on Sundays. And I bet they're making more money than any of them. And their employees get the day off. They get to go, go to church. That's pretty awesome. A testim testimony. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. He's trying to get you some rest. <laughs> He's trying to get you to discover your gifts and talents and who you are. That's why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so that there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Don't go up and pick up, pick up food on the seventh day. Is our faith, do we have more faith in our job? than we do in our God? That's really what the Sabbath day rest is, is asking here. It's like the tithe. The tithe is asking, do you have more faith in that 10% than you do in me? Really, God, it's just a show. God doesn't need your money. 
The question is, is would you rather have 90% of your money with God's blessing, or would you rather have 100% just out there on your own? Boy, <laughs> that's a tough 10% there, isn't it? I don't know. I have found 90% with God's blessing is the only way to go. And so it's the same with our time. It's the same with our gifts and talents. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. He had to teach them that. And then not long after that, they get to another place where there's no water. Now, he's already previously told them to throw a log in the water and it turned some bitter water sweet so they could drink it. But now they get to a place with no water and uh, they not only start complaining, they say they want to go back. Let's just go back to Egypt. We had it better in Egypt than we. And you know what? A lot of people that are born or claim to have been born again, and some that may really have been born again, decide that they just don't like living for God. They just want to do it themselves. They want to go back. But it says here, God was merciful. And he told Moses to strike a rock with the rod, and water came out of a rock. And supplied all the people and met their thirst. I don't know what was up with those Israelites. They had, a, had like a slave mentality or something. And you can understand, they had been in slavery for a long time, and they, they couldn't see themselves doing the things that, that God wanted them to do. God knew he had his hands full when he brought them out. But you know what? He, he knew he had his hands full when he brought us out. He's not afraid of a challenge. He will continue to be merciful to you if you will just stay with the program and not go back. That's our only job. Don't go back. Now, if, as long as you want to complain and murmur, be stiff-necked and hard-headed and all those things, you're not getting to the promised land like that. But he'll keep working with you. He knows there's a lot of things to change in our mind. You see, when we got saved, our spirits changed. I mean, we got a new spirit, but our, our brains are still wrapped with so much false thinking and so slave mentality, slave to this world. Stinking thinking, that's right. And, uh, and we can be the most complainingest bunch ever. That was a new word, isn't it? Complainingest. <coughs> I make up one every service. Anyway, eventually, if you keep fighting against God, you keep, you, you feed this desire to go back. They went, they went back in the sense that when Moses went up on the mountain, they were down at the bottom of the mountain shaping themselves a golden calf to worship. Seems ludicrous. Seems like the stupidest thing anybody could possibly do. And it was. Probably the stupidest thing ever recorded in the history of mankind. But every day, people that once professed to love the Lord Jesus Christ are going back to the things of this world, going back into bondage, going back into slavery, into sin. Because of their, their inability to just 
be thankful and to get with the program and let God work with them. God finally swore in his wrath that these people ain't entering into my rest. They're not, they're not going into the promised land. I'll let their children in if they act better, but they're not going in. There was only two that got to go into the promised land. Moses himself didn't even go. He died. It was Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb were the ones who were sent out as spies with ten others to spy out the promised land, and they were the only two that came back and believed God. All the rest of them, oh, man, it's nice over there. It's real nice, but we can't take it. Weren't you there when God let you walk through the Red Sea? Don't you remember how it was dark in Egypt, but it was light in Goshen? Don't you remember that there was frogs in the house of Pharaoh, but there was no frogs in Goshen? Don't you remember turning the Nile to blood? Don't you, don't you remember all the things that God did? And now you're saying what? <coughs> we can't take the land? But Joshua and Caleb, they was like, let's go get it. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that we dreamed, and our God is well able. Let's go, let's go, guys, come on. And that's the way you have in the church today. You have a few simple people that'll get up and say, let's go. Let's just do it because God said. Let's just do it because God is able. Let's, let's, just, let's not overthink this thing. Like that video we saw, let's put a committee together and see what it would look like if I cleaned my room. You remember that? The Francis Chan video? You know, let's just talk about, let's just memorize the scripture, but let's not do any of them. Shouldn't we all be excited to go to see what God's going to do next? Are we afraid to fail? Fear coming in? What, what is the holdup? What, what stops us? If God says do something, man, we ought to be all over that. He's like E.F. Hutton. We are, whatever he says, man, we're listening. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. You don't remember that old commercial? You got to be at least 60 to remember that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if God says something, man, we ought to jump all over that. If he says something that to go do something that's impossible, we ought to just go to see how he's going to do it. I don't know, patience me. In the Israelites' defense, at least they could say, well, we never got to see Jesus on the cross. You know, this was before Jesus. All we had was a few type shadows, you know. We had the blood over the doorpost and the Passover lamb, but we didn't really know what he was talking about. We had the, the brass serpent on the pole, you know. When we looked at it, we were healed, which signified uh, Jesus taking on our sin on the cross. They had type shadows, but they didn't really understand. But we have seen the real. We have seen the love of God hanging from a cross to pay our sins and show us his, how much he loves us. So what's our excuse when God says go and we don't? What, what, what are you possibly going to tell God? Why are we whining and 
Complaining. That's my biggest thing. Y'all think I'm up here just preaching to y'all? I ain't. I promise you. I've said some stupid stuff lately. You know, James says a tongue is can start a mighty fire, just a little old tongue, like a rudder of a ship. It'll head you in the wrong direction quick. And uh, you, we better watch the things we're saying. I get upset about this or that, and things ain't going the way I want, and I'll grumble and complain and whine. That's got to upset God. He ain't pleased unless he sees faith. Here we're hoarding our time and our talents and our, our tithes. We're holding out on God. Will a man rob God? Yes, all the time. All of us will rob God at times. Just doubting his love just must be incredibly insulting to him. <laughs> what more could he do? We know about God's love, but we're living in a generation it seems like they don't care. You tell them that Jesus died on the cross, and they, they don't care. Incredibly callous. Anyway, all the Old Testament is an example for us. It could be a warning for us. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll close. Or just about, anyway. Man, I'll write a little old short message, and I'll think, we'll get out of here early tonight. I get to talking. I look up, and it's 8 o'clock, 8.15. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Now, this is in the New Testament. This is after Jesus. This is how many years later? This is probably 2,000 years later. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. So who's he talking about? The same knuckleheads we've been talking about. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies are scattered in the wilderness. <laughs> when Moses tapped that rock, and uh, the water began to flow from it, guess what happened? They all drank from that spiritual rock. It says the very next thing they do was pretty awesome. It was one of the few things I saw that they did right. They got the Amalekites came to try to go to war with them, and uh, Moses said, "Me and and Aaron and her, we're going to go up on the mountain and we're going to lift up the staff of God." And Joshua, you take some troops and go down there and fight with them. Well, they went down there and fight, and in the valley, and Moses would hold up the staff of God, and as long as he had the staff in the air, his people would win. But when he would get tired, his arm would come down, the Amalekites would begin to win. And so uh, Aaron and Hur said, here, sit on this rock. And they made him sit on a rock, and then they began to help him hold his arm up. And then he'd hold that staff up. He held it up all day until Joshua wiped the dust with them guys and finished them all and wore out them Amalekites and got the victory. 
that's doing something right. And it's funny that right after they drank from that spiritual rock, which is Jesus, they did something right. And have you noticed in your life, when you spend time with Jesus, you're more likely to do something right. You're more likely to have faith. You're more likely to, to say yes, sir, when he says go. You're more likely to make the right decision. It says in Exodus 17, 8, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors Amalekite attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight the army of Amalekite for us. I might want to say Amalekite. <laughs> Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the hill of the top nearby. And as long as Moses held up the staff, as long as Moses held up the staff, that staff representing God's power, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the Amalekites gained the advantage. So Moses' arms soon became tired. And he no longer held them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands were held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. We win the battle when we keep singing like we did when we got across the Red Sea. We win the battle simply by being thankful, singing songs of deliverance, remembering how God rescued us and how he how awesome he is, and keep celebrating and dancing. Keep your joy before the Lord. Stop grumbling and learn to trust him day by day. Walk by faith and let his perfect love cast out your fear. Put God first in your time, your talents, and your ties. Hold up that staff of God. Believe in that power of God. Raise up a banner. Say, the Lord Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. It's who I come to represent. And fight the good fight. Hold up the arms of your weary brethren. We do this together. Remember our rescue came from the Lord. Our victory comes from the same place. Drinking deeply from that rock, which is Christ. We can do nothing apart from him. So the message has come full circle, which all messages do. Well, all good messages. I told you, I'll tell you this all the time. It always comes back to that one thing. It's you and your relationship with Jesus. You can know and have all the facts about how to be a good person, how to live a godly life, how to be a holy saint of God. You can know everything, have all the knowledge, and be sitting there so puffed up on that purple chair and not do any of it. Because it is in the relationship. It is drinking from that spiritual rock, which is Christ. He's going to give you that juice. <laughs> He's going to revive you. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Time of refreshing is going to give you the courage to fight those battles. It's going to give you the courage to say, yes, sir. It's perfect love is going to drive out fear. And fear is the main thing holding you back. So when you delve into perfect fear and you drink deeply of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to rise up in faith and you're going to be an overcomer. So knowing is good, but being closer and closer to Christ 
is going to be the answer. Doolin is Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Thank you.